just before we get into this, uh, I want to say two things. One is I have enjoyed putting a talk together over the last couple of weeks, which um, has just been incredible for me to investigate. Um, and it has made me fall in, fall in love with the Word of God even more, which at times I think that can't happen. Um, but God goes, oh, you don't know anything. I've got a whole bunch of stuff to say. If you grapple with the Bible and you can't work out what it means for you inside your setting, I would love to chat to you because I would love for you to know what it is to engage the Word of God and for the Word of God to speak into your heart. So if that's something where you're like, dude, I just don't get it and you don't feel like you can say it, Please come and chat to me, chat to Matt, to whoever you feel like you want to chat to, so that we can, you can open up the Word of God and know its relevance for your life. And secondly, and this is going to be some of the, the point of my talk this morning, but hear this right at the beginning because you might be someone who dozes off after a couple of minutes and that's okay. The Advent story is about God coming for the least of us. So if you feel like God came for somebody else. And you might know what I mean by that. Like the, When Jesus came into the world, he came for somebody else. You're way off, man. He came for you. And he loves you. Oh. Yeah. He loves you. He loves you so much. And I'm going to try and prove some of that this morning. Um, but I want you to hear that first. You all right? You with me? All right, let's get going. So, as we kind of <coughs> continue into this Advent thing, study, series that we've been looking at, um, I have completely fallen in love with this Christmas story again. And every time, as I said, I've looked at it, it kind of brings something new. Um, and I want to share with you today about the shepherds in the story. And uh, next week, Jeremy's going to be looking at the Magi or the wise men. Um, but today I've called our talk, um, uh, Why Them? Uh, the Shepherds. The importance of travel, ancient social media, and joy for the least likely people. Helpful? Catchy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, to get going, um, I was reading about a baby uh, that was born around a around hundred years before Jesus was born. And this baby was called Julius. Um, and Julius was born into a kind of moderately powerful family in ancient Rome. And the parents of Julius were pretty ambitious, pretty well known. Um, but more importantly, though, this family um, recognized and understood that their lineage uh, was that they descended from the god Venus. Um, for those of you who know, uh, Venus was a, uh, a god or recognized as a god. And that, by definition, made his kind of clan, his family, divine or had divine association. Now, over time, Julius rose to power following the examples that were kind of given to him by his parents. Um, and eventually, he became dictator of uh, Rome by kind of winning wars, by crushing enemies. And he was incredibly politically uh, savvy. But Julius had a problem. He had two kids and he was worried about succession. Now, 
One of his kids was a girl called uh, Julia, and her problem was the fact that she was a girl, and, you know, that wasn't really good for leadership succession in those days. And the second one was a lad called Caesarean, um, and he was the offspring of a cheeky little night out with Cleopatra. Um, that's not the, you know, the historic <laughs> version of events. But uh, essentially, Julius never really recognised this boy as being his. And actually, eventually, he kind of went off with Cleopatra and he became a pharaoh in Egypt. Um, so it was over there. But because he had a girl... And because he had a kind of an illegitimate son, he had a problem regarding succession in, inside his, his particular setting. So to get around this, he decided to adopt. And he adopted a boy called Augustus. Now, Augustus was kind of brought on in all the ways that a good dictator um, should be brought on. Um, and uh, after his adopted dad's kind of tragic death, which happened through murder... Um, Augustus eventually kind of took up the mantle of ruler or actually what he decided to be called or was called was emperor Um, and this was all fine and it worked out really well for Augustus but despite this enormous recognition uh, from the Roman Empire Augustus knew that he needed something more to kind of make his power absolute do you know what I mean? complete Um, Now, he knew that his claim to the throne needed the support of not only the public, the same as it needed, you know, all the military that the the Romans had, um, but he needed to kind of have this one-upmanship over anyone else. So it was absolutely complete and sure as to why he should be in that position. Um, And he needed that not only in Rome, but he needed it across the Roman Empire, which at its height was around a third of the globe. It was huge. Um, So what he decided to do was do like a public relations thing. And he started this pretty immediately after coming into power. And um, it, yeah, it kind of happened within the first couple of months, two two or three months after um, uh, Julius Caesar was um, killed. Um, And he decided just after this death to host some games in Rome. Now, hosting entertainment in Rome uh, was... um, was kind of a form of public relations. That's how you connected with the people. Um, and Augustus knew that there was tons to be gained by hosting this event in Julius Caesar's honour, in his, in his adopted dad's honour. But during these games, there was a comet that hung in the sky above Rome. And so Augustus thought, wait, 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 this is a really good thing to use to my advantage. Now, as I said at the beginning, Julius Caesar, the family, um, believed that they were from divine lineage, um, these kind of divine roots. And Augustus knew that if somehow he could confirm that his power would be absolute and his uh, authority was to be unquestioned, he needed a sign to convince people. And so he thought, wait a minute, a comet that's moving across the sky would be a really ideal way of doing it because you can say ah this thing is happening this this odd thing that's happening in the sky can be used for my recognition but you have to convince an entire empire so that takes quite a lot of doing um and he knew that he needed to get inside everybody's heads 
So he had to figure out the best way of doing that. So what ways are there? Like what is going to pass amongst people that's going to be with all the rich and all the poor? Can anyone guess a decent way of getting inside everyone's heads? Have a little guess. No? Money. Well done, Tom. Money is the way to do it. So check this out. Here is Caesar Augustus on one side. And what's on the other side? A comet. A star. And so this is what he decides to do. He has his face on one side and a star that points to God on the other. Incredible. Now, notice what Matthew 2 says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that's in Judea, during the time of King Herod. So Herod was a local king. He wasn't an emperor like Augustus. He was a a local king. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Because we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, I am not going to take anything, hopefully, away from what Jeremy's going to share next week. You weren't going to say this, were you, mate? <laughs> He's like, you're still um, But it says in this account in Matthew that the Magi followed a star. Uh. So the question for me is, why would the birth of Jesus include a star as a key part of the story? Why would it be in there? And that's what we're going to kind of get into a little bit this morning. Okay? So, let's read Luke's account of um, Jesus' birth. Um, And it starts off like this. In those days, Caesar Augustus, who we've just been introduced to, issued a decree that a census should um, should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him. And and they were expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And then there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people because today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts Host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off 
And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, in the Near East, in the first century, shepherds stood basically on the bottom rung of the social ladder. Um, If you were going to compare them to other people, they were at the same status as kind of tax collectors and dung sweepers, right? That's here. In the Mishnah, which is the um, Judaism's kind of um, written record of the oral law, shepherds were spoken about incredibly badly. Um, In one passage, it describes them as incompetent. (laughs) Um, Another one says that you should... (laughs) This is incredible. You should never feel obligated to rescue a shepherd if he's fallen in a pit. Don't Don't worry about it. That's just that. There's a Jewish historian called Jeremiah, and he documents the fact that shepherds were deprived, essentially, of all civil rights, um, and that they couldn't fulfill judicial office, and they couldn't be used in court as a witness. Like, that's how far down they were. He even wrote, to buy wool, milk, or a kid, that's not a child, that's a, you know, an animal, Um, from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it would be stolen. (laughs) It's a bit strong, isn't it? In the same, uh, by the same guy, Jeremiah, he wrote a book called um, uh, Jerusalem in the Time of Jesus. And he said, the rabbis ask with amazement how, in view of the despicable nature of shepherds, one can, one can explain why God was called shepherd in Psalm 23. They couldn't compute how the two things were put together because of the way shepherds were regarded. Talk about God like that was just a paradox. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't see why that would be a thing. And these smug religious leaders at the time maintained this strict caste system at the expense of shepherds and other kind of common folk around then and shepherds were even officially labeled sinners because it was like a technical term for a class of despised people now shepherds despite their social status um spent all their time obviously bringing on sheep or mostly they were bringing on sheep but more importantly they bought on lambs now for jerusalem lambs were very, very important because every year around a quarter of a million of these animals were used when the Passover happened. They were used for sacrifice. And so for those of you who don't know the Passover, this is when Jews remembered God passing over their houses um, where they took blood and they put it over the doors and then God passed over their house when they were in Egypt um, so that they wouldn't get killed. So Shepherds, paradoxically, were despised and the least, but they spent most of their time providing regular sacrificial animals that could be used in this yearly flow by the Jewish people to satiate God so that judgment wouldn't come on them. It's like they were carers that they hated, but they were just happy to take their stuff off them. 
right? That was where they were. And then it says in this scripture that these angels appeared. Now, why them? Why, why shepherds? Why not the religious leaders or the established people that have got social status inside this setting? Why did the last and the least revered get spoken to first? And I think it's in this very thing that I am seeing the Christmas story properly. God seems to take the very opposite and is telling us the most important story in history. The whole thing is back to front in terms of how the world sees things. You see, Mary was a teenage girl who was unmarried, upside down inside their culture. The birth of the king of the universe is in a stable. It makes no sense. It's back to front. And the list of back to front of what God is doing throughout this story is endless. And the shepherds are another example of that. It is like somehow God is saying that this new baby has come for the last, the least, and the lost, and wants to put them first. He wants to put them first. So let's get back to our shepherds. So imagine you're out in a field. Nothing in you is saying that the people back in the towns want to engage with you. You own this identity of being an outcast, of being lowly, of being... (laughs) on the outside and then it says the glory of the lord shone upon and all around them now i don't care who you are if the glory of the lord turns up in all its power you are going to be terrified right it's in fact if you t- if you take the word that they use the original word that they use in inside luke's account It's more than just terror. It's like this terror filled with awe and reverence all at the same time. It's like they've encountered this pure, original, holy energy, this eternal energy. And in that moment, you would remember, I'm guessing, that you are the least. (laughs) And then all this is happening. Mercifully, though, the angel is very kind. And he says, don't be afraid. (laughs) You think, oh, good grief. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Don't be afraid, the angel's saying, because this is for you. Don't be afraid, because this news has been given to you, not the people at the top. Don't be afraid, because God has just moved into the neighborhood, and you've got an invite to meet him. You know, some encounters make you forget who you are for a minute. I don't know if anyone's ever met their hero or a celebrity. I don't know who, whoever it is, but you kind of forget who you are for a moment. And I think it was the same for the shepherds. They kind of forgot who they were for a second. It says that they hurried off to Bethlehem and they found the baby. And then something extraordinary happens. It says that they start telling other people look it says when they'd seen him they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them i'm betting you've read that a hundred times or some of you have 
But remember, nobody listened to shepherds. But it wasn't the shepherds that people heard. They heard God through the shepherds. Do you see the distinction? That, you see, that's what happens when God uses the people who are the least. Status, cultural status, economic status, all goes out the window. And beauty and truth shine through by the fact that God moves through people. If you want to see another example of this, notice the woman at the well when Jesus encounters her. She comes in as an outsider, broken, separate, obsolete, and then she becomes the greatest evangelist for his message. The outcast becomes the voice of truth. This whole nativity story is one of subversion, and it's a display of God's upside-down kingdom. But it's also a story about hijacking. Now, they didn't know it at the time, but Jesus came to be the ultimate sacrifice, the final lamb. The last sacrifice between people and God. And what a beautiful picture it is when we see that it's the very people who supplied all the sacrifices that were first introduced to the Lamb of God. I think that's an incredibly subversive move. It's also the fact that God uses the same style that Augustus was claiming made him God and using it for his own purposes. It's like God the Father is taking all of these things. He's taken the world and the way it was set, and he's using it for his own story. He's repainting the whole thing. And interestingly, travel seems to be uh, an important part of what happens in each of these characters in this story as well. The shepherds are instructed to travel and go and see the baby. Mary and Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem. The star traveled across the sky and the Magi followed it. Mary traveled to see Elizabeth when she heard her cousin was pregnant. The writers of the Nativity are very keen to tell us that God encountered people inside one space and then people went on a journey to find out what God was up to. The shepherds encountered a host of angels and then traveled to see the baby. But when they got to the other end and saw what God had done, they were different people. They were different people. You see, the journey of holding God's story in our hearts after we've encountered him changes us. It changes us. We are different when we arrive than when we started. Now, I could say tons more on this today. Um, but as I said right at the beginning, if you think that God is for the next guy, is God is for the person who sat next to you and not for you, I want you to be encouraged by the shepherds. I want you to be encouraged by the shepherds because if at times your journey feels like it's confusing or it's a bit broken or sometimes you don't remember why God is doing something in your life, I want you to recognize, if you can, that it's this journey through this life that is ultimately where God is working for you. And finally, I really want you to hear this, that God broke into this world and he hijacked the world's narrative 
And he was incredibly subversive so that he could tell his story just the way that he wanted to. He upended everything so that you may know him and be connected to him. So may you know that that is how much you are loved. That is how much you are loved. Amen.